Hello and welcome to Timeless Files, a fan podcast for the TV show Timeless. I am your host, Chris Butler. Season 2 is getting ever closer, perilously close. In the UK, the E4 channel is currently re-showing Season 1 of Timeless with an episode every day. It's on in the early hours of the morning, in HD, with no ad breaks. So it's a great opportunity to record it. The HD broadcast is far better picture quality than the DVDs. I'm hoping this is a sign that E4 will be broadcasting season 2 soon, but there's still no news on that. For now, I am continuing this recap of season 1. This time we're off to 1882 to meet Jesse James. We get the introduction of Emma Whitmore, played by Annie Wershing, and there are huge decisions made by Lucy and Wyatt. As I record this, we have snow here, and it's bitterly cold, so it's a good time to look at this very wintry episode of Timeless. It's Season 1, Episode 12, The Murder of Jesse James. The episode starts with Wyatt visiting Wes Gilliam in prison. Flynn has said this is the man who killed Jessica Logan. That was five years previously. Wyatt asks Gilliam to admit to the killing. At first he denies it, but Logan asks him again. Gilliam has been convicted of two other murders and he's not getting out either way. Logan says Gilliam owes him the truth. This seems to make a difference to him and he says, I know exactly who you are, Wyatt Logan. And I know who Jessica is too, and if I could change things I would, but I can't. Neither of us can. To which Wyatt's answer is, not unless I had a time machine. Now, Wyatt takes Wes Gillian's words as an admission that he killed Jessica, but he didn't actually say that. He only said that he knows who Wyatt is. And to be fair, Wyatt hasn't given his name at any point in this conversation. There's a real sense of menace coming from the man, but all kinds of questions are left hanging. Why would he want to change things? In what way? Did he not want Jessica to die? Wyatt's reply, not unless I had a time machine, is interesting for another reason, which I'll come back to later. We cut to Lucy Preston. She apparently walks into the kitchen of her mother's house and finds her sister Amy there which we know is impossible. She says, are you really here? And Amy says, no, I'm not really here. Worse than gone, I don't even exist. And she proceeds to blame Lucy for not saving her. And she says, Lucy doesn't even care. She asks, what day was yesterday? And then Lucy wakes up and realises she was dreaming. It's always a risky strategy to have a scene that turns out to be a dream. But in this case, I think it's good to have this. For a start, Amy's line, no, I'm not really here, telegraphs that this isn't real. But more than that, I think it's important to see Amy again on screen. It's such a big part of Lucy's motivation as a character. But we haven't seen Amy since the pilot. And it's likely a lot of viewers might not remember her very clearly. So in terms of just reminding the viewers who Amy is, or was, I think it was important to do this. 
Next we're at Mason Industries. Gia is really excited. Rufus asks her what's going on. She says she's going to be training to be the next lifeboat pilot. Mason has just told her. She assumes that Rufus must have recommended her for the job, so she thanks him. He tells her, you deserve it, but he looks upset. He tracks down Mason and asks him what's going on. Mason says Rittenhouse insisted on Gia's selection, and in six months she will replace Rufus on the team. This is because of Rufus's message to Rittenhouse in the previous episode, telling them to back off because he's the only pilot they've got. They clearly don't intend to let him get away with that. And Mason says he was forced to pick a side, and he did. He suggests Rufus reconsider his allegiances because once Gia is trained, he becomes expendable. Their conversation is halted when Gia calls out that Flynn's mothership has jumped to April 3rd, 1882. Lucy and Wyatt arrive at Mason Industries. Lucy says the date is the day that Jesse James died. He was betrayed by two other men in his gang, who double-crossed him for reward money. They can't think of a reason why Flynn would have an interest in Jesse James, but regardless, they will go after him. We cut to the day in 1882. We don't see the time trip. We don't even see the lifeboat. I miss the scenes of them buckling up for the time jump. Anyway, we get to see the attempt on Jesse James's life, as we've just heard about. But when he's about to be shot in the back, Garcia Flynn bursts in and kills the two men. Flynn says he'd like to buy Jesse James a drink and make him an offer. There's something odd about the way Flynn speaks here. Not sure if he's trying to put on an American accent for Jesse James's benefit. Or it could just be my imagination. A little while later, Wyatt, Rufus and Lucy arrive at the same house. It's now empty, but the two dead men are still lying there. She confirms who the two men are, and they deduce that Jesse James is still alive. Wyatt asks Lucy why Flynn would have wanted to save James. She gives a half-hearted reply, saying if Flynn saved a bank robber, then maybe he needs help robbing something. The others look unimpressed with that answer. She's not really got her head in the game here, which we know is because she's upset about her sister, but Wyatt and Rufus don't know that. We cut to a saloon where Flynn is showing James a map, indicating a place he wants to go to. James says it's deep in Indian territory. Flynn says that's why he needs James, because Jesse James knows the territory and he's good with a gun. James says he's not just good, he's the best. He asks what Flynn's map leads to. Flynn says it leads to a person who is important to a cause he's fighting for. James is disappointed, he expected treasure of some kind. But Flynn gives him a bag of money and promises him more when the job's done. Now James looks happier. He says Flynn should have led with the money. Two marshals walk into the saloon. Flynn says they should leave out the back quickly, but James walks up to them, calmly. He makes sure they know who he is, then kills them both. By the time Wyatt, Lucy and Rufus arrive, the men are being lifted into coffins. 
The credits are on screen at this point. This episode is written by Jim Barnes, who previously wrote episode four, which was the bonkers but very enjoyable Ian Fleming episode. And the episode is directed by John F. Showalter, who previously directed episode 10, which was the Bonnie and Clyde story. Wyatt learns that Flynn and James headed south. He's all for just buying horses and riding after them. But Rufus tells him it's dangerous territory and they can't just do that. Wyatt says they have to. James is alive and killing people who aren't supposed to die. This is what Lucy would normally be saying. He asks her what's going on with her. She apologises. He says, OK, if they're going into hostile territory, then what he would usually do as a soldier is to find a guide. At which point, Lucy has an idea of who they should turn to. Bass Reeves is arguably the best lawman in the Old West. You know, a real figure from history. It has been rumoured that Reeves was the basis for the character of the Lone Ranger, although there's not really a lot of evidence to support that. They track down Bass Reeves, and when he comes out onto the porch, Rufus sees that he's black. He thinks the idea of a black Lone Ranger is awesome. They try to persuade Reeves to help them. At first he refuses, saying any number of other lawmen could stop Jesse James. But Lucy says no one knows the territory like he does, and James and Flynn are likely to kill anyone they come across, including the Native Americans, and no other lawman is going to care about that in the same way that Reeves does. So reluctantly Bass agrees. Wyatt's happy with this, as long as James and Flynn catch bullets in the end, as he puts it. Bass says, hang on, they're going to arrest the men, not just shoot them. He says he needs Wyatt's word that that's the goal. They shake hands on it, but later, when they're alone, he tells Rufus that he absolutely intends to kill James and Flynn. Rufus is unsure they should be talking about murder so lightly. Wyatt says it's not murder, and he has no doubts. Bass doesn't want to take Lucy with him, but she says he doesn't have any choice in the matter. He eventually says OK, but she can't go in a dress. He'll find her some other clothes to wear. We cut back to Gia, who is on her first training simulation, which ends badly. She'd be dead if they were doing this for real. She wonders how Rufus manages to do this and make the landing every time. Mason says she'll get better, just as Rufus did. She tells him that what would really help her is if she could see video flight logs of the earlier pilots. But Mason makes excuses about the videos having been lost in a power surge. She offers to try to recover them, but he says no, she needs to rest after hours of training. He promises to put some people on it, but you get the feeling that he's not going to do that at all and that he's hiding something. Wyatt, Rufus, Lucy and Reeves are preparing to leave when another US Marshal, Grant Johnson, arrives. Wyatt jokes that he could be Tonto if Reeves is the Lone Ranger. Johnson immediately takes exception to this because he says the word Tonto translates as fool in Spanish. 
Sir Wyatt has to apologise. They all mount their horses, apart from Lucy, who walks up to join them. And then we get one of the all-time great clumsy Lucy moments, when she climbs on her horse and immediately falls off it again. It ranks right up there with walking into the wing of a plane and the falling through the window moment. She tries again and manages to stay on the horse this time, and they ride off. For a moment, Johnson tries to give the impression that he has these special tracking skills, but then Rufus and Wyatt are called tontos by him for believing any of that. He's actually going to interview witnesses to find out where they went, because that's what lawmen do. Gia is determined to find these videos of other pilots training. She distracts a technician with some nonsense about an order from Mason to check the simulator and some software being decompiled, whatever that means, and she starts downloading the files she wants. But Mason interrupts her during this, so she has to grab her USB drive while the files are still downloading. He's obviously suspicious about what she was doing. Flynn has a telescope, or a gun sight maybe, and he sees there are horses riding after him, so he wants to keep going, but Jesse James refuses to be hurried. James catches sight of a modern rifle that Flynn has, but Flynn refuses to let him try it. Maybe later, he says. James says he fought for a cause once, but it was just an excuse. Really, he just liked killing people, and he suggests that Flynn is the same. As they get ready to move on, they notice some Native Americans are watching them. By the time Wyatt and co. come through, the Native Americans have all been killed. Bass and Johnson want to bury the dead. He says they need to rest the horses anyway, and the men they're chasing will need to rest too. Wyatt makes another attempt to convince Reeves that they should shoot Jesse James on sight. It would be a lot easier than risking his life to capture him. But Reeves says easy and right aren't the same thing. He says the law isn't perfect, but it's the only thing they've got. Reeves walks away. Wyatt says James wouldn't be able to hurt anyone if he was dead. Rufus knows something is off with Wyatt. He asks him what it is, and he admits that he went to see Wes Gilliam in prison, that Flynn gave him the name as he said he would. He says if he could go back in time to kill Gilliam, he wouldn't hesitate. He asks Lucy to back him up, but she says she doesn't know if she can. She tells them it was Amy's birthday the day before, and she forgot. And she shouldn't have forgotten, because she's the only person that remembers she ever existed. She says she wants her sister back, and she wants to go home. Flynn and James arrive at the location Flynn is searching for. It's a log cabin, very remote. He holds up a sketch of the cabin. It's a page from Lucy's journal, and it adds to the believability that this is a journal created by Lucy, because she will be here soon. Although she doesn't obviously stop and draw the place. But if not her, then who? It would have to be someone who has been here, and been to all the places Lucy has been to, which narrows it down to four people, as far as I could see. Lucy, Wyatt, Rufus and Flynn. 
Flynn and James have to take cover as shots are fired at them. Flynn tells James not to shoot back. Flynn calls out that he's from the same place they are and that he has a ship nearby. He steps out from cover and a red-haired woman is pointing a rifle at him. Jesse James isn't pleased to discover he's come all this way for a woman. Flynn tells him he needs a private conversation with her and he should go and get the horses. Inside the cabin there are battered old pieces of laptop computers, mobile phones and very worn paperback books. It was really hard to work this out but one of the paperbacks says Blade Runner on the cover and in a later shot we see she has a copy of The Hunger Games too. Anyway, Flynn says, well you sure aren't from around here, are you? She asks him to draw a map of where his ship is. He says he can take her to it. He tells her he's not from Mason Industries and therefore not from Rittenhouse. He calls her Emma. We cut back to Gia who's playing a video she recovered from Mason's computers and simultaneously we learn who Emma is. Partly from the footage Gia is playing and partly from Flynn who is making it clear that he knows exactly who she is. Her name is Emma Whitmore. She's a pilot who, along with Anthony Brule, was one of the first to pilot the time machine, or a time machine. But Rittenhouse pressured her in exactly the same way that they're pressuring Rufus. So she faked her own death, and Brule and Mason either helped or were duped along with everyone else, and she went into hiding in the past. She doesn't admit to any of this until Flynn asks her how long she's been here. Then she says it's been ten years. She says she had no choice but to run. She says she knows things no one else knows. That what Rittenhouse have planned for the time machine is far beyond anything Flynn or Brule are aware of. Flynn says he won't force her. She can stay in hiding if she wants. But if she does, everyone she has ever loved will be destroyed by Rittenhouse. We don't know who there might be that she might care about, but she leaves the cabin with Flynn. So Flynn tells James this is where they part company. He gives James the rest of the money he promised, and he tells James there's a bonus. Among the men headed this way chasing them is Bass Reeves. He supposes James will like the fame, associated with killing Reeves. At first I thought there was a mistake in the writing here. I couldn't see how Flynn could know that Bass Reeves is following him, along with Wyatt and the others. I was scratching my head thinking, surely Flynn couldn't recognise Reeves, even with a telescope, at a distance of three miles. OK, he is riding a white horse, which would be a clue if he really was the Lone Ranger, but no, it's still not really believable that Flynn recognised him. But then I remembered Lucy's journal. We've seen already that Lucy's journal contains information about these events. So it's plausible she wrote that she pursued Flynn and Jesse James with the help of Bass Reeves in the journal. And that's how Flynn knew about Reeves. It's pure conjecture on my part, but otherwise I'm back where I started. How could Flynn have known about Reeves? I tend to think of season one as being about Lucy chasing Flynn through time. But there's another way of looking at it, which is that Flynn is chasing her through time, using her journal as his guide. 
In any case, James now knows that Bass Reeves is coming and he says he wants one more thing from Flynn. He wants the rifle that he's seen and Flynn doesn't want to give it to him. For a moment, Flynn thinks about trying to shoot him but he knows he won't win a quick draw against Jesse James so he has to hand over the gun. Wyatt and the others arrive at the cabin after dark. They go in and are astonished to see the laptops, etc. Rufus picks up a battered old piece of clothing that has Emma's name on it. He's shocked because he thought she was dead. Lucy is looking out through a window and she sees something outside. Grant Johnson just manages to pull her away as Jesse James starts firing the gun he took from Flynn, peppering the cabin with bullets. Johnson saves Lucy but he gets shot himself. Jesse James announces who he is while he's reloading. All attention is on Johnson, but then Lucy realises Wyatt has slipped out of the cabin. He's managed to approach James and he shoots him, wounding him in the arm. We know that Wyatt intends to kill James, but Bass Reeves comes out of the cabin and aims at both Wyatt and at James. And he tells Wyatt they are going to arrest Jesse James, not kill him. And he says this even though Reeves tells them Grant Johnson has just died. This is another big change to history. He actually lived long after this in the history that we know. Everything is on the edge, with Wyatt wavering over whether he should kill James or not, when a shot rings out and Jesse James slumps down to the ground and we see that Lucy Preston has shot and killed him. The next scene is in daylight again, with Jesse James on display in his coffin. Bass Reeves walks up to Lucy and hands her some money. She asks what it's for, and he says it's the reward money for James, wanted dead or alive. She refuses it and says to give it to Grant Johnson's family, but Reeves walks away from her. A reporter tries to speak to Reeves, asking if he's the one that brought in Jesse James. Reeves says he didn't. Rufus runs after him and says that he should talk to reporters so that people know his story, that people will want to know his story. But Bass Reeves says that he isn't doing this for them. The lifeboat returns to Mason Industries. Rufus tells Agent Christopher and Connor Mason that Emma Whitmore is alive. Mason says that Brule said he saw her die, but I'm not completely convinced that we can believe anything Mason says at this point. Agent Christopher wonders why Flynn would go to all this trouble to get another pilot when he already has Brule. Mason sees Gia for her next training session. He makes it clear that he is perfectly well aware that she hacked into the system to get the video files of Emma Whitmore. She says if he thinks what happened to Emma would scare her, then he doesn't know her very well. She still thinks Emma's dead, of course. She hasn't got the news yet that Emma is still alive. Mason says she will be scared if she ever tries to deceive him again. Lucy is reading up on the revised history of Bass Reeves and Grant Johnson. It's possible to pause this and read the web page that she's looking at. And amongst other things, it says that Reeves became even more press shy after the death of Jesse James. 
So Rufus's last conversation with him obviously didn't convince him to be more willing to tell his story. Lucy sheds a tear, whether it's for her sister or because of what she did to Jesse James, we can only guess. Of course, Jesse James would have been dead already if Flynn hadn't intervened. So did Lucy kill him, or was he dead already? I think it's a huge thing for her to have done. But one thing you can say about Timeless is that it doesn't gloss over this kind of event, and there are bound to be repercussions. In the last scene of this episode, Rufus joins Wyatt in a bar somewhere. Wyatt says that he loved westerns as a kid. Gary Cooper and John Wayne, they never crossed the line. But then as a soldier he realised no one could ever be that good a person. The lines between good and bad are never completely clear. But then he met Bass Reeves, a man who really was that good. Then Wyatt tells Rufus he's going to steal the time machine to save Jess. And he wants Rufus to help him. Rufus is surprised and he says no at first. He cannot help Wyatt to kill someone or to erase them from existence. Wyatt says he doesn't want to kill anyone. He wants Rufus to help him to find another way. The man who killed Jessica killed two other women as well. Wyatt is just trying to stop a bad man from hurting good people. It's left hanging whether Rufus will agree. And that's the end of the episode. There is a deleted scene on the DVD set which it's hard to say if it was intended for this episode or the previous one. Wyatt is having drinks with a woman in a bar. It becomes apparent that she worked on Jessica's murder case. Wyatt says, you are still investigating it, right? She says it's an ice-cold case. His wife's gone, and finding her killer won't bring her back. And he says, not unless I had a time machine. Which is the same thing he said to Wes Gilliam at the start of this episode. So I wonder if this scene was cut because it is too similar to that scene? Or maybe it was filmed as a possible alternative to that scene? And then perhaps the scene with Gilliam might have come later. In any case, I think it adds something to the story to know that Wyatt was essentially told that his wife's murder case is now so old he shouldn't really be expecting any kind of resolution to it. And therefore the decision that he makes at the end of this episode, that he wants to steal the time machine and try to save her himself, with Rufus's help, that decision is more understandable. The look and feel of this episode really owes a lot to the snow, the snowy landscape. It's perfect for a western, which this episode essentially is. According to an article I read at buzzfeed.com, and I think I've heard the same in interviews with the cast, the snow was completely unexpected and they just decided to go with it when they were faced with this snowfall all over the locations they plan to use. I think the decision to keep filming has to be one of the best decisions ever in that case. 
interesting too is that the horse that Goran Viznich is riding is one that he'd been riding for years in Vancouver and he used his own saddle. With Lucy's shooting of Jesse James, Wyatt, Rufus and Lucy have all killed now. Rufus and Lucy would never have done anything like this if they hadn't been forced into the situation that they're in. For a supposedly family-friendly show, they've all been put through the ringer and subjected to ethical dilemmas far beyond those explored in your average TV show, which is a good thing. A lot of TV has this adult label on it, but I think Timeless is way above most of them in the way it puts people in difficult situations and thinks about what are the right and wrong things to do. If I thought that Jim Barnes's writer did some things with Ian Fleming that were unrealistic, I have a feeling he was drawn to trying to do similar things with Jesse James here, most noticeably when he's firing this modern gun and really enjoying it. But as with his earlier episode, I think what he does here is very memorable uh, and I really enjoyed it. The first impression we're given of Emma Whitmore here is that she is hiding from Rittenhouse, a bit wounded perhaps. We're led to believe that she is hiding by her own choice. She wasn't abandoned in the past. But we only know what people are saying and it's very unclear if everyone, or anyone, is telling the truth. Who can be trusted? That's all for this episode. Next time I'll be discussing episode 13, Karma Chameleon, when we'll find out if Wyatt does steal the time machine, and will Rufus help him to do it. All the podcasts so far are available on the site, timelessfiles.podbean.com, or in all the usual podcasting places, including iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And you can find me on Twitter at Timeless Files. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. <laughs>